0: This is number five of a series of tape recordings made in the Chapel of the Open Book dealing with the prophecy of Daniel. It is our custom at this meeting to read a portion of Scripture together and those of you who are sharing with us, if you care to switch off for a little while and read, we shall be reading the book of the Revelation chapters 12 and 13. This evening we turn our attention to the seventh chapter of this prophecy of Daniel. And we shall be obliged, by the very prophecy itself, to consider though, at least a part of chapter 13 of the book of the Revelation, which we've just read, but that will come presently. (coughs) Now we notice, in this seventh chapter, uh, that uh, the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And this is the dream that he had. I saw in my vision by night and behold the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea. Now I said we wouldn't deal with the book of the Revelation till we got there but now you may remember that the sea is spoken of in chapter 13 in the first verse I believe it is that this beast that there is spoken of in the book of the Revelation arises out of the sea. We'll see that again presently. And four great beasts came up from the sea diverse one from another the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon the feet of a man and the man's heart was given to it and another beast a second like to a bear and it raised up itself on one side and had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it and they said thus unto it arise devour much flesh after this I beheld and lo another like a leopard which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads and dominion was given to it. And then, verse 7, After this I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And, verse 8, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. This is a difficult passage to analyse, isn't it? There are some features here that go beyond the ability of any present day commentator being sure. They were written for the learning, particularly of those who will be living in the days when this will become history. And when they're living in those days, they will have the advantage of us because they will be living under these very, this very terrible pressure. Don't envy them, friends, because to live under that terrible pressure will be in the days of great tribulation. So you see, sometimes the understanding of the Word of God walks together with a tremendous amount of pressure and suffering. We can only truly enter into a scripture when we're actually living it. And whether you and I want to live this in order to understand it is, of course, a personal thing. I think we can. We must be content to know that God has forecast what shall come and in the strength that we have already possessed that wherever prophecy has been fulfilled, it's been so literally fulfilled that unless we're believers, we come to the conclusion it was a concoction invented by somebody after the thing took place. That's what's happened to the book of Daniel. It forecasts so accurately certain movements that were going to take place that nobody could ever foresee what kings were going to rise after this particular kingdom and run its course for centuries. Yet it came absolutely true it was forecast that our Saviour should be born in an obscure village called Bethlehem. And the circumstances of his birth were such that you'd say that was not possible, for he was living in Nazareth and there was no reason why they should go to Bethlehem at all. And then a Roman emperor who knew nothing about the Bible sent forth a decree that all should be taxed and it meant they all had to pack up and go to their original uh, centre and as the Mary and Joseph were the lineage of David. They had to trek across country in bad weather apparently and because of the circumstances no room in the inn when they got there. But it was fulfilled. I can imagine that some wise acres when they read Psalm 22 may have shook their heads and said oh we mustn't interpret they pierced my hands and my feet literally. We mustn't uh, degrade the word of God to merely talk about they cast lots upon my vesture but they did, literally. So I'm only saying that while I must confess to you, I don't stand up here and say, now I know the answer to all these problems. You wouldn't believe me if I did, I hope. That's not because we don't believe God. We only know that this has been written and that the last chapter, a good deal of this prophecy is sealed up to the time of the end. Would you like to just see that as I mentioned it? Daniel himself kept inquiring what these things meant, you remember? And it says in verse 4 of chapter 12, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. So if Daniel himself had to seal it up and didn't get complete answers to his questions, I don't think we may expect to have a favourite treatment because it doesn't belong to our calling. Well now back again to chapter 7. This is a vision given to Daniel. And Belshazzar was the last of the line of Nebuchadnezzar, and the Medes and the Persians were on their very doorstep, for so they mentioned, you see, in verse 28, so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Silas the Persian. It's already there. This man is doomed, this Belshazzar. And Daniel is told, and is given this vision of these four beasts, and he's told, uh, presently, we shall discover, that these are to be upon the earth. They are kingdoms or powers that shall arise. We'll get to that in a moment. But let's notice the... Uh, the. Um, there's one interpretation which is very popular, <coughs> which we must face. That is to say, you remember in the uh, Daniel 2 we had the image envisaged in Nebuchadnezzar's dream well they say Daniel was only dreaming about the same thing and the first beast he saw was a lion that's Nebuchadnezzar and the second beast he saw was a bear and that was the Medes and Persians the third was the uh, brass, the leopard and the fourth was Rome and at the end no more after Rome So the ten kings that come, represented by the ten horns, must arise out of the Roman Empire. And there is a system of interpretation which stands for that. Well, you say, well, why don't you accept it? Well, here's a man who says that he's seen four kings that shall arise out of the earth. They shall arise out of the earth. Well, as Nebuchadnezzar's been dead, and his kingdom is finished, and the Medes and the Persians are practically on the spot. When he says these shall arise out of the earth, its future, it cannot really start with Nebuchadnezzar, can it? Not if the words mean what they say. Well, now we found that the image of Daniel had not four departments, but six. It's a characteristic number. The image that Nebuchadnezzar himself put up was 60 by six the Revelation 13 we read just now said the number that's going to be characteristic is 666 and here we have the head of gold, the breast of silver, the thighs of brass, the legs of iron, the feet of clay and the toes are specially picked out separately to explain and they are carried forward in Daniel's prophecy and he says these ten toes, which I don't explain now, he just says in the days of these kings. You say what kings? Oh, the days of those kings represented by the ten toes. Now we're coming again to another set of images, and the last of them have got ten horns instead of ten toes. And they are represented as being much in the same character as ten kings. So that it looks as though, instead of starting these four uh, kings or four beasts that Daniel envisaged in chapter 7, instead of starting with Nebuchadnezzar, say no. Start with the next king that's coming on the scene, that shall arise. And if you do that, you get the two already there, and then you come to the four, so on the other side of this chart, you see, I started the lion with the thighs of brass, and the bear with the legs of iron, the leopard with the feet of flame, and the toes, the monster with its ten horns. Whether that's right or not, we must decide by patiently waiting upon the Lord and reading what he actually says. Well now, following the the uh, statement about those monsters, those beasts, this number 7, yeah, the 7th verse, is different from the rest. It's indescribable. Uh, I mean, you get a lion, you get a bear, and you get a leopard. So, what about this last one? It says definitely it's diverse from all the beasts that were before it and it had ten horns. Well now the story breaks to go on to another aspect of things. So we'll give that its turn first before we pick up the interpretation which is partly given in this chapter. He said, I beheld watching these monstrous beasts in this vision I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and that has been misinterpreted. It doesn't mean overthrown, because I said overthrown, I'm not playing with the word throne, that's an accident. Uh, In the east, especially in the east, a throne may be a great cushion of silk, and they were cast down, placed down, to be sat upon. But not all these thrones were built up like massive chairs. It doesn't mean cast down enough into the word. And the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Whatever else this means, we've reached the day of judgment. We've reached practically the end of the story of the book of the Revelation. The coming of Christ in chapter 19, to take his kingdom, and the books being opened, and the judgment set. I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Now, if we go on reading in the book of a revelation, as we should have to presently, I don't need today, later on, we shall find that the beast was taken, and the false prophet together, and they were cast into that fire, the burning flame. This is anticipating what is there more definitely stated. As concerning the rest of the beasts, now, here's a point that I would like you to notice. Are these beasts consecutive? That is to say, if we look at the vision of Daniel 2, the first beast reigns for a certain period, the first one, the gold, then it passes, followed by the next, followed by the next, but these are all together. These are not consecutive. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And I saw in the night visions And behold, one like the Son of Man, of course we know who he is, the coming of the Son of Man, he came with the clouds of heaven, so the book of the Revelation says, behold, he cometh with clouds, all these are linking on to that day of Revelation, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion, and glory, and the kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages, should serve him. Nebuchadnezzar glimpsed this, you remember. He admitted this must come. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom, that which will not be destroyed. Well, that's what Daniel saw. You can see it arose out of much that he'd been pondering, much that had been said to him, much that he'd explained to Nebuchadnezzar and others. And so God gave him this vision. Whether he's going to give us the full interpretation is another question. But it was enough, whatever was given here was enough to settle some of the problems that had arisen in Daniel's mind. Well, now comes the uh, explanation. Although we're going over the ground again, to a large extent, that's you would have to put up with that, for that's the way in which the book's written. Now, it says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit, in the midst of my body, or as it's put, in the midst of my sheath. He refers to his body as a sheath in which his spirit was held. Uh, Because he knew, or at least the scripture knew, that this body of ours is to pass away. But that which is begotten of God remains for his seed abided in him. He spoke of his body as a sheath. And the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by. Uh, These angels that were in the... uh, vision. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. Now this is the interpretation. These great beasts which are four are four kings. So now we know, we've got so far that they are kings. Well why are they represented as a lion and as a bear and as a leopard? Well because if we only knew the type of king they're going to be, we should say that just exactly represents them. There are peculiar characteristics about these wild animals that can have a sort of reflection in the nature and make of certain individuals. We use the very words ourselves. We speak about a person as a sly fox, another person as a wolf, and so on. Well, this is just what's happening here. So although we are not able to give you the name and address and everything of this king, We know his character. We know something of his character. And it says, these are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. Future from the days of Daniel. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and forever. That's all he's taught. Just those two verses. They are four kings. They're going to dominate the earth. But, but, Daniel, don't forget, God has the last word, and he has a kingdom that lasts forever. Now, but he wasn't quite satisfied with that, Daniel wasn't. and because he wasn't satisfied, we get a little bit, another glitz. You see, there's another man that's very much of the same kidney, the prophet Zechariah. Then I said, what's this mean? And he said, don't you know? No, and he told him. Then I said, what does that mean? And don't you know? Then he told him that. Oh, God wants you to ask for him. You'll never be sent away and say, oh, don't bother me. He wants you to bother him. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why we don't know as much as we should, because we don't bother. He's written it for our learning, but he's put it sometimes in a cryptic style so that we shan't say just by one casual reading we've got it all. So we never got that until we went into his presence and got into touch with himself. Then I understood, you see. Like Asaph, worrying his head outside because of the wicked who prosper until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. Oh, it made all the difference of that man, and yet it was exactly the same thing he looked at outside again, but from a different point of view. So let's go on, shall we? Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast. Now this is characteristic. You'll find that on more than one occasion, Daniel is concerned not about all the long series, but I want to know the end. It was true of Nebuchadnezzar. What's going to be the end of this? Where's it all going to end up? So he said, I'm not asking for a lengthy explanation about the lion and the, and the bear and the leopard, but what about this fourth beast? That's the thing that sticks out in my mind. This indescribable monster. Well, you'll find it is a monster when we we'll turn the page. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. I'd like you to notice iron and brass. In the preceding chapter, a very peculiar thing was said, that when the tree was cut down, it was bound in iron and brass. Here you're reminded again that iron and brass come into it. And iron and brass are a part of the characteristics uh, somewhere down the story, the legs of iron, the thighs of brass. It's carrying it on. We'll find there's a link between this chapter 7 and chapter 8 when we come to it. So We won't do that. We've got enough on our program at the moment. More now. And you notice this, when Daniel is asking for information, he's telling a lot. He's not vague, is he? He says, he doesn't say, then I will know that indescribable beast, you know, that funny one. Oh, no, he says he was diverse from all the others, and he had exceeding, grateful, he's he's were of iron, his nails of brass, and he devoured and raked in pieces and stamped the residue with his feet. Look what he's telling. The angel or whoever it was that stood by giving him all the opportunity to explain. And he said, I would like to know about the ten horns that were in his head. So would a good many people. But there is a chance to get a little idea. And of the other which came up, and before whom three fell. Even of that horn that had eyes. And a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his talents. By Daniel, you seem to know a good deal about it, although you're asking for information, isn't it? And I beheld in the same war and made war with the saints, and prevailed against them. Until the ancient of days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints should possess the kingdom. And then he said, the fourth feast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth. Now, that's the problem. Where do we start reckoning? If we start with Nebuchadnezzar, this fourth kingdom is the kingdom of Rome, which is was in dominant power 2,000 years ago. If we start with two of them already in being, and these are future, then we say, oh, this takes us right down to the time of the end, the book of the Revelation, the passage we read, as we shall see in a moment. The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which will be diverse from all kingdoms. Now friends, you remember the the image of Daniel. It was gold, silver, copper, not brass strictly speaking, but good enough, brass, iron, and then ultimately clay, pottery. Now gold is more valuable than silver in the ordinary estimation and silver more valuable than copper and so on. There's a deterioration. But, whether it be gold at one end and iron at the other, they're all metals, aren't they? Then suddenly it changes. Diverse from all the rest, we have pottery. And these, the days of those ten toes of the pottery, shall not mingle with the seed of men. That's because they're not men. By the time you get to the book of the Revelation, you've got this diabolical element. You've got those who are devil-possessed. You've got something on the earth that the earth has never yet seen, but it's been anticipated. So, the last beast is a monster, a hybrid. We're getting right back to the evil days when the two seeds were there dominant. They'll be there again at the time of the end. So he says, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth. Well, they're getting ready for it, aren't they, friends? There's no corner of the earth now which is safe. People used to pack up, you know, in the old days and get away from Europe. If they could get away from Europe, they'd get away from the scene of the uh, interpretation they had of the apocalypse and they were quite safe in America. Well, America doesn't feel quite so safe as it did. And if you get to the very ends of the earth now, you know full well that it's not possible to get away from the diabolical things that are being invented by man to destroy the earth. You remember in the book of the Revelation, God comes down and says, I will destroy them that destroy the earth. Well, Daniel in his day might have been rather ridiculed and say, said, you can't tell there's going to be such a domination over the whole earth. How are they going to get there? With the means of travelling that was envisaged in those days. But you said there's no difficulty there. And it says, and the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. So there are ten kings out of this last kingdom which shall arise. Well, now they've been envisaged by the ten toes, now they've been further explained as ten kings. And another shall rise after them, and again, he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings complicated, isn't it? And yet it's specific, isn't it? Supposing these things don't turn out to be true, then God's word is proved to be false, but, friends, when the day comes you'll see it as plainly as we can say, look back in the past and say 1066, will you, the conqueror? For God is only writing history in advance. And he shall speak great words against the most high. That's his character. A blasphemy against the most high. A shaking his fist in the face of the Almighty. Not merely casually drifting on and not caring or having a respectable religion, but as you know, the time at the end he shall sit in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And the false prophet is going to command that there shall be an image of the beast, and it will go back to the days of Babylon again, that all nations and languages shall fall down and serve him. It's coming, friends. even though we may say, Shrug our shoulders, oh, never again, that can never be. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. That's a wonderful word, isn't it? Not, Not to destroy them, for they may be indestructible, but wear them, wear them out. What a need there is for patience and prayer and the conscious upholding of God. And sometimes he intervenes when it becomes too terrific. The woman was taken on the wings of an eagle and was fed for three and a half years in a desert. Oh, God can intervene. He has before, he will again. And uh, think to change times and laws. This again is to be a characteristic. You know, it was a little bit of a characteristic in the days of the French Revolution. I wasn't living at the time, but uh, I gather that in order to demonstrate that they had nothing whatever to do with all that had gone before, they had a ten day week and they called the months by entirely different names, but it all collapsed. We're all gone back again as it was in the beginning, but that's the character. To take changed times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand. You remember the first verse of Daniel? God gave into, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, and they shall be given into his hand, he's going to give them this length of time until a time, and times, and the dividing of time. So that's a peculiar expression, isn't it? And it's written in prophecy in order that first we may have a, ser- <coughs> a certain amount of veil over it, but as you go through, it gradually comes right out into daylight and becomes a specific period. We'll see that if the clock doesn't go on too quickly. But the judgments will sit, and they shall take away his dominion, to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom of the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Now has come the kingdom of our, of Christ, as he shall rule and reign unto, uh, forever. You remember when the seventh angel sounds. Well, there we have just the outline. Well, now if we will turn to the book of the Revelation, we shall see what was given when John, at a much later period, begins to give us a bit more definite statement concerning this very last time of the end. Chapter 13. Chapter 13. Our version starts by reading, And I stood upon the sand of the sea. But if you're reading the original, you'll discover that it doesn't say, I stood upon the sand of the sea. The uh, accepted text now is, that he stood upon the sand of the sea. So should we go back into chapter 12? And the dragon was wroth with the woman who went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he stood upon the sand of the sea. He's down here at last, cast out, you see. Now he's going to bring up his trump card. He's going to bring up the beast. There's been many attempts in history There have been foreshadowings of this great beast and they've had characteristics about them that have made some people sure that it was the beast of the apocalypse. You added up their names and they came to 666. Napoleon was one, Mussolini was another. They all had these characteristics but they were not the actual one. And the suggestion is that Satan has always been seeking to be ready if the time had come to have his man. And the time has at last come. And here he is. He stands on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns. Now is this one, this one that's uh, going to be described? Although at first sight it's indescribable. Listen. The beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. Is that what uh, Daniel saw in his vision? In chapter 7? Yes. One of those beasts was like a leopard. All right. And his feet was the feet of a bear. Was there a bear involved? Yes. But oh dear, oh dear, when I think of a leopard, I wouldn't like to meet one at too close quarters, but it's an agile animal. It's got grace about it, its swiftness is remarkable. But you imagine a leopard with feet like a bear. Why, well, Walt Disney hasn't invented anything like that yet. This is a monster. And then he goes on to say he's got the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne. Remember the word "seat" many times in the book of the Revelation, his throne. He gave him his power and his throne and his great authority. Now Ephesians chapter 2 just whispers to you, he's the prince of the authority of the air. And Colossians says we've been delivered out of the authority of darkness. And that authority from which, by the mercy of God, we've been delivered, that authority which is definitely associated with the air, in Ephesians 2, is given to this beast. Now, am I trifling when I say that was given to this beast the authority which the prince of the authority of the air possesses? And later on in the book of the Revelation a vial of wrath is poured out upon the air. Why? Well, I may not be able to answer, but I'm only telling you it. So, what's the air done? Does it really mean just the gases that form the atmosphere, or does it mean that which the air stands for in that day? Let's go on a little bit further. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. What's that mean? A travesty of resurrection. The very same words I used, I saw a lamb as it had been slain, that are used here, of this anti Christian beast. A travesty of resurrection. And what happened? All the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon. That has been the goal of Satan since the fall of man. It was stressed when, he, when our Savior commenced his public ministry. All this will I give thee, which you've come to take. You can have it. It's mine to give. All this will I give thee if you fall down and worship me. Imagine that. And now he's got it. Remember this. Satan is a religious being. The fact that a good many of his followers are murderers and adulterers is not what he intends. If he could have a millennium here so that everybody was as happy as could be without the Son of God, he would have achieved his purpose but there is a, such a thing as consequences of acts, And there never will be a millennium here without the Son of God. But that's the thing which is a, a perhaps yeah, a thorn in the side of the wicked one. He cannot read it about, but he would if he could. Worship is involved all the way down. What's the first of the Ten Commandments? Has it to do with thieving or telling lies or being obedient to parents? No, thou shalt have no other gods beside thee. And anybody who breaks that first commandment need not bother about the rest for they're all broken with it. What is the mystery of godliness over against the mystery of iniquity? The word godliness means the act of worshipping acceptably. So please don't put worship on one side as though it doesn't matter as long as you're just morally right. You never will be morally right if you're not right with regard to your relationship with God. And here it all comes out. They worship the beast. And they worship the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And this is what they say. This is what the newspapers are going to have in screaming headlines. Because I think they still have newspapers in this day. They still have them. People will want them. And whatever will take the place of television and the uh, radio, they may have something even better or worse then, I don't know. Uh, They will be saying to all the world we've got to submit. There's no possibility of arguing against this monster who is able to make war with him? Well, when you come to think that this is future, some of the missiles that they're using can only be, they can only go a third of the way around the earth at the present moment, friends. Take you that, only just a third round the earth in one go. Well, what would it be when they go right round and nick themselves in the back and make a mistake? What would it be when all the world is a target for anywhere else in the world? And if this ancient beast has got something that just goes one better than all the rest. It paralysed the world. I don't think I'm drawing on my imagination. It's near to that now. And if any one power, it doesn't matter whether it was a great power that dominated half the earth or the populations of the earth or the tiniest power that had got something that the others hadn't got, that would be enough. And I believe it would be a very little power, but that's got to come out later. So here, who is like unto the beast who is able to make war with him? And then we are told it was given unto him about speaking great things and blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Well, I'm not dealing with the whole of the Revelation this evening as well. I haven't got very much more time. I'll just draw attention to that peculiar way of speech and it's on the chart to just a guide us. If you'll turn back for the moment, keep the Revelation open, but turn back to Daniel so that we have them before us. These ways of expressing time. Chapter 11 verse 13. Uh, That doesn't look like time. Is it 11, 13? Oh, I'm sorry, that's the idea, yes. Yes, for the the king of the north shall return and set forth a multitude greater than the former and shall certainly come after certain years, that's it, at the end of times, even years. That's a comment, you see, that's what I, I forgot that I ought to have looked up again. There's a comment that times represent years. That's the, that's the occasion that gives us the key. Well now in chapter seven, twenty-five, 25, we have that expression which will re, refresh our minds again seven twenty five and they shall be given into his hand out of a time, that's one time, and times that we shall discover is two times, and the dividing of time we shall discover is a half a time. If we look at chapter twelve, verse seven, there it is. And I heard the man clothed with linen which was upon the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven and swear by him that they be forever, that it shall be for a time, times and a half when all this should be accomplished. And so we have one further reference to which all this is pointing, chapter 9, verse 27. This is the days which is yet to come and this anti-Christian beast shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, that's seven times, one week. And in the midst of the week, that's three and a half years, he'll break the covenant. That's what all this is focusing on. This is the focus of Old Testament prophecy. The seven weeks of Daniel 9, in which there will be a covenant made to suit his own purposes, until he reaches enough strength to break it, that's just in the midst of the week, three and a half years. Now we'll come to the Revelation to get a parallel. Chapter 12, verse uh, 14. I think we've read that ourselves just now. And the woman, to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly unto the wilderness into a place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. But if we turn back to chapter 12, verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a and threescore or sixty days. Well, are you good at arithmetic? Can you divide one thousand two hundred and sixty by twelve? You see, you begin to discover that this is at the same length of time, three years and a half. Or if you look at chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, but the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles in the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy of a, a 1,260 days. So there we've got it. That all these peculiar references and all these wonderful prophecies and all these diabolical things that are associated with a time, time, dividing of time, forty-two months, 1,260 days, are all three years and a half. And the three years and a half have to do with the last of Daniel's prophecy. Well, we have in front of us chapter 8, which will show that what has taken place in connection with Persia and Greece is a foreshadowing of what will yet take place. And then we've got chapter 9 in Daniel to consider that great prophecy. And then instead of saying, well, that's the end of that, we should say, well, that's only the beginning because I'm going home to have a look at it all over again. Wouldn't that be lovely if we did? Not to make this the be-all and the end-all of your studies, but just a little incentive. Just a few odds and ends that are picked out by somebody who's had a try, passing them on to you with a certain amount of diffidence and hoping that God will use the crumbs where it's not possible to spread a banquet. And of course there's always the possibility that somebody at the end of the meeting, even the one like this, will button me and say, you never said anything about so-and-so. Well, that's so, friends. But our time is practically up. I leave it again to work its own way with you and ask your prayers that we may be guided as we pursue this very difficult and yet most interesting study.